Hello mech fans and welcome to the Valhalla Club. Grab a fusionaire and join us as we talk Battletech and the latest happenings around the Colorado Battletech community. For our listeners, today we have Jack with us here and he is the either official or unofficial Colorado Battletech champion seeing as he's won the past three uh, statewide tournaments. Um, and Jack, if you would, why don't you just introduce yourself, tell everyone how long you've uh, been in Colorado, and what introduced you to Battletech, and how long you've been playing. Yes, uh, so I'm, I'm Jack, and uh, I've been in Colorado since, gosh, it's been almost 20 years now. Went to school in Boulder, and uh, came to work in Colorado Springs, and been here ever since. Um, Battletech. Battletech-wise, the universe has been with me for quite some time. Uh, I keep telling this story because it's actually kind of cool, because the very first English-language book I was ever able to read was the um, instruction manual for Warrior 2, the PC game, back in whatever year it was when CD-ROMs were still a thing. (laughs) Wow, man. That's crazy. And... and for the listener's benefit, uh, Jack immigrated to the U.S. Uh, from Thailand. Thailand. Is that right? Yes. That's right. That was a, that's a while ago, uh, 1997-ish, sometime there about then or so. Nice and tender, tender age of 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been kind of on and off, touching but not really diving into Battletech for some time. Make Warrior, the uh, uh, some of the novels back in the day, uh, was reading novels all the way up to uh, spoiler alert uh, when uh, uh, what's her name, Omi Kurita, uh, bit the dust was the last thing I remember before I kind of broke off with uh, uh, BattleTech for 40k for a while. So yeah, okay. in and out okay. of are those, are those the dark age, dark years that we don't talk about, or? <laughs> well, I kind of just uh, I I know I, I wasn't around long enough to see the dark age thing come about. I just they just kind of faded okay. away. Went into tabletop, did other things, um, but uh, came back just uh, last year, October ish, when noticed that people were actually playing. Actually bought the new. Um, uh, starter box when it came out a year or two ago, I believe, but uh, couldn't find anybody to play with, so I kind of just sat in my pile of shame. <laughs> yeah, well, we all got plenty of those. Oh, yeah, and staring uh, at me right now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, squirreled away in your closet, garage, or you know, it's a cardboard box, just a pile of shame, you know, not forgotten, but uh, um, to rewind actually. And maybe we could make a quick note for Mike here. Uh, our co-host is also good to me, myself, John, and Ben, who's kind of our Colorado lore, lore master yeah. slash a semi-official uh, CGL. Yeah, he pulls the curtain back here now and he's like, this is, this is how the sausage is made every now and then. I do a little bit of writing, but that's about it. Behold. <laughs> well obviously we're having you on because you keep you know kicking our asses and we're just trying to figure out how to stop you 
And, yes. Uh, anything we can get to help us, you know, will be good. That's what I'm trying to do. Get people to kick my ass. That's a, that's kind of like, that's <laughs> my overarching goal. I want that to happen. <laughs> and, uh, you got a hint of uh, Jack's favorite uh, faction when he was talking about uh, visions. You know, he's a he's a Blakist, so <laughs> he's always got shenanigans up his sleeve for you. And uh, is it right that Battletech was your first minis game, or or did you start with like forty k or something like that? Forty k. I cut my teeth on forty k. I didn't. I knew peripherally that uh, Battletech did exist. But uh, it was just so, so much more depth than my little uh, 13-year-old me was able to really sink my teeth into. And uh, all my friends were on to 40K. Actually, they were on to Fantasy Battle. I just wasn't much into fantasy. I was more of a... Fantasy Battle, rest in peace. I know. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. But I guess they had to say goodbye at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And Ben, actually, that's a question for you, too. Do you, do you dabble in the, the GW stuff, or are you just a Battletech guy? I, you know, I've, I've always been a Battletech guy, man. I got into it in high school, um, late 80s, and it was just one of those things. Like, I tried a few other games prior to that, and once I got into that, it was like, this is it. This is all I got, you know? And I've never okay. Take a break. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, you're a purist. It's awesome, man. So you you come from the total warfare background, and then I do. Jack, I do. my understanding, you, you you're strictly an Alpha Strike player. Is that right? Yeah, I I think Mike showed me uh, classic one time, and, and uh, I can see why there would be a draw there. You really feel the punch for PVC lands, and you know it's right there. It's eating up this bit of armor. It's very punchy. But uh, I just can't bring myself to devote a sufficient amount of time to play one of those games. No, I, I hear you, man. Once you have kids just finishing the game, it feels like an achievement sometimes. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, and we know you're a Blakist. Is that your favorite faction? You know, honestly, I don't really have a favorite faction. Mostly the reason why... I picked the Blakest for this particular run was because I had a, already a substantial, um, how do you say, uh, collection of Comstar. Mostly because I started listening to attacks, him always talking about Comstar. I was like, those guys sound cool, so let's let's look into them. So I did, and so I had a whole bunch of guys painted Comstar white already. I was like, you know what? Who are these Word of Blake guys? Let's look into them, and I saw they yeah. had all these. Uh, Celestial series of uh, mechs and uh, battle armor, and I was like, "These guys seem pretty cool." And so, yeah, well, I invested yeah. a bit you of time like, into that. You turned the dial from the Comstar scheming villains, like one more to the right, and then you've got like the Blake, <laughs> just overtly evil, and then the new kind of. Um, uh, we talked about it at the tournament, like the aesthetic on these like celestial mechs. They're very uh, pointy. And very, it's very like late yeah. 80s, yeah, <laughs> 90s anime inspired mechs. And, and they're certainly cool looking, but they, they are very unique. They're uh, very different. And, I like them. Yeah. Yeah. And you, uh, you know, you don't have a favorite, but do you have a, a least favorite or most hated faction, you know, either 
lore wise or just to play against mechanically? You know, from the, I, I rather have a little bit of a slight distaste. I wouldn't say absolute hate because, you know, I kind of love and hate them all kind of equally, but for the period of lore that I was most familiar with, that is pre-Jihad, um, the good guys, right? The Fed, the Fedcoms, the, uh, the oh, good yeah, boys yeah. of Davian. You know, I'm kind of like, oh my goodness, they're so Smurf, they're so beloved. I'm just so, yeah. it just tastes it's so sweet. It's just yuck. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't, good guys wear blue. Yeah, they're blue. They're red, white, and blue on their mech, so they're obviously the good guys. So it's a little bit of a yuck, yeah. but but I gotta say, I mean, like I I, I read. I was brought up in that back on that uh, lore background, so yeah, dude, I totally feel for Victor. Victor's a favorite character of mine, but I hate his good boys, the Fedcoms. They are just so good guys, so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they didn't wait too long to, to tear themselves apart, so at least you don't. Have to no, they did not. Too long. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I, I actually, I like, I like all the factions. I just. Uh, tend to gravitate away from the obviously good guys um, faction. What can I say? I'm a snowflake millennial. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and lastly, do you have a favorite mech? Not just like a, a variant, but just an overall chassis. Hunchback. The Hunchback. hunchback. Yeah, really? Hunchback all really? day long. Yep. Definitely the Hunchback because it's Every man, trooper, mech, you know, has been ripped to pieces and put together in all the ways you can possibly imagine. Just very down to earth, get the job done. Love it. Good. Great, man. That's a great, great classic mech. Yeah. You know, just close in and destroy you. Or die. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Most, mostly die, because you're a trooper mech, you're kind of there in the background. <laughs> you get blown up before yeah. the, the heroes do all the time. Your AC twenty ammo bins go up, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, can't uh, can't always be fame and glory. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, um, Jack is a regular contributor to our local Colorado uh, Discord server, and uh, I, you know, I, I think we're we're old nerds here. You know. Oh yeah. He likes to, to, to crunch uh, numbers, units. I think you have like an Excel sheet you use. Or, yeah. Or do you just go on master unit list? Both. I mean, you start with the master unit list, right? Because you gotta gotta figure out who belongs to what faction. I mean, that, that's kind of how I operate is I pick a faction and era of interest. And then I kind of just, you know, peruse, kind of browse along them and see what uh, what looks good and double check to see if the physical model actually looks good. And hey, that looks good. Let's check out what it can do. Go through all the variants. And the Excel sheet comes later when I actually really want to crunch the efficiency numbers. And But yeah, that comes way down the line after I figure out looks good, looks good in physical uh, form, actually belongs to a faction and is unique-ish to that faction just to form a theme first. But yeah, that, I do both. Too much time. That's great, man. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the nice thing about games like this. You can spend a lot of time thinking about it when you're not playing. And that's probably for the best because, I mean, how much time do we spend 
uh, not playing the game versus actually playing it. It's I know. It's sad. <laughs> we said we're more playing, less planning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we in Jack, you also run uh, intro uh, events down in the spring. So you, you are growing the community. And uh, I haven't been to one of your events personally, but I've heard good things about it. So how, how do you like doing that? When did you uh, start running demos? Did you run demos for like games before? What's, what's been your experience with that? I actually, at one point in time, about a decade ago, I think, I swore off pushing a game system. I was uh, demoing. I wasn't demoing. I was actually starting a group playing AT43 uh, quite a while back there, just a couple of guys, and I was trying to push so that it would gain adoption. And that failed spectacularly. I swore to myself, never again. I'm never going to yeah. jump into a game that's uh, not well established. I'm not never going to push a game again. And here I am yeah. running demos more than once a month, um, trying to get people to uh, buy into these gigantic, stumpy, one-inch tall robots. So yeah, gigantic. <laughs> that's a you know gigantic inch. So, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean these uh, these, uh, these these demo games here. I feel crucial because um, I after I was into 40k, I did War Machine for quite some time, and from having been in that community and witnessing its spectacular demise, it's clear that a community only survives as long as as it can gain new members faster or at least as fast as it loses um, people transitioning out. So for yeah. a community to actually function, we need new blood. We need new people to become excited, to start learning about this. We point them to text and have him evangelize them, evangelize, evangelize them. And uh, then they're hooked. Yeah. And then we give these, them these more. These are the words. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Baptize and be tech, yeah. <laughs> so you know, you just you just really you do it really fast. Alpha Strike actually is uniquely uh, well suited for doing this particular type of um, baiting people into the BattleTech universe because now that I've done it a couple of times, I find it is eminently possible to get all the way from beginning first uh, explanation of how the system works all the way to game conclusion within about three hours. So you can bring somebody who's never played the game before, have nothing on them, use all of your, all of my own equipment to teach and get all the way to game conclusion within about three hours. So it's, it's very, very well adapted to teaching the game. Hey, I'm gonna go off script for a second, John. Um, <clears throat> Jack, have you ever thought about, uh, about becoming a Catalyst demo agent? I have, in the past, for other uh, game systems, been asked that question, and the answer is yes, but uh, I'm doing like three jobs right now. <laughs> so my level of uh, my, my level of reliability is low. I mean, uh, what fair. I would love to do is I would love to get back into playing D and D. You know, I used to run. Mm -hmm. um, I used to run a DN, not not a DD, it's a, actually an Iron Kingdoms a war machine a role playing game for a couple of people for a while. And that was a great time. And uh, I just love doing all these tabletop stuff. But 
right now I'm pared down to maybe one day a week when I can get out for a couple hours just to vent steam. So the answer is yes, but my level of reliability is extremely low. So I don't want to like commit and not be able to deliver right now. Understandable. Yeah, it's it's that. Wish I could do more. (laughs) <laughs> I was just curious with with the amount of you know intro games and stuff you've been doing, you know, that's a that's a perfect spot for you to get in there and and really kind of blow up the the southern area of Colorado to uh, make that happen, you know. Yeah, and you know, I found that there is a lot of interest in the community to do this because I I do I do understand and appreciate the uh, um, uh, the Wolfnet philosophy of making sure that when you have this type of uh, display, I guess, a exhibition. All of my mm-hmm. intro games, I, I would, I tried my best to make it look like an exhibition game, make it look good. Because you're right, it is the beautiful terrain, it is the beautiful mechs, it is the people gathering around and looking like they're having a good time that draws people in. They see the terrain, they see the mech, they see the crowd, and there's an energy to it that uh, draws people into get into this universe, which is really helped by the fact that these mechs now look amazing. They just look delicious. Magnificent. Yeah. Delicious. All right. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they look delicious to me. (laughs) And Ben, you previously were a demo agent for CGL. Is that right? Uh, Back in the day when it was FanPro, man, I I did that stuff for a long time. But like with like Jack said, man, it's a lot of time commitment, and it just it got to a point for me where I was like, I just couldn't commit to it as much as I should yeah. be doing. You know, um, you feel yeah. a certain sense of responsibility when you're when you're when you're trying to do that and grow the community and stuff. And if you can't commit to it, it it just you know can't no man can serve two or three masters. You know, All right? I'm already serving at least three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Where kids are involved, child, yeah. Each one of them is children, in charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I I do I do think that actually doing these demo games are a critical component to maintaining a healthy community, um, so that I can actually get to play games. If nobody plays a game, I can't play games. So if I want to play games, I gotta make sure that people know how to play the game. So let's teach them and. Uh, They'll be wanting more once they're in because, you know, it is Alpha Strike is pretty good game. It's a reasonably good game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got a nice balance of fun. And it's not super complex, you know. You can, exactly. That's what's great about the WolfNet uh, tournament system. You know, you can crank out a game to completion to like a. Uh, crank out to completion. That's a bad one. Uh, you can <laughs> you can play a game to a satisfactory like outcome where everyone knows like yeah I won this or man oh man I got smoked I lost and you can do that in eighty <laughs> minutes and that's that's awesome. Less you can probably conclude within an hour if you're just reaching a deper- determinable victor less than an hour. Yeah 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 you're you're right about that. Yeah you can see the writing on the wall and. For listeners, um, Jack is in the Springs, uh, in the South Metropolitan area of Colorado, and we have about somewhere between what, like almost two dozen or more players down there. Yeah, I would between say Total Warfare and Alpha Strike. Yeah, I would. That would be a good guesstimate. 
it's really difficult to uh, put a true number on it because it's really hard to see who's actually fully active at any one time. But uh, I would say that at any one, in any one week, you can see at least three or four games being active for sure that I know of in any one week. Yeah. So it's not yeah. as regimented as in Denver, but it's very freeform and people kind of just do what they want, which is one of the strengths of this system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, strength and weakness. Sometimes it's, you feel like you're hurting cats. You know, I want yes. to turn to fire, you know. Yes. And then up here in Denver, I think we probably have in total, you know, at least another two dozen players. But uh, the core group that goes to uh, Hobbytown Westminster on Fridays, it's it's going to be about a dozen, you know, which is, is a good turnout. That's a good turnout. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously we're looking to grow here, too. And then, Ben, you're up north in Greeley. Is that right? Yeah, I'm up in Greeley, um, close by Fort Collins. <clears throat> you know, we've got. And what's the yeah? What's the player population like up there? I'd say probably ten to twelve. You know, be, from what I've played with and what I've you know, a lot of us come down to Denver on Friday nights. You know, um, so it's yep. Yep. I think all told probably ten to twelve in, in a in the area between Fort Collins, Loveland, Greeley, and Longmont. And, uh, you know, obviously I have my own vision, but Jack, what, what are your kind of uh, ambitions for the uh, Colorado uh, Belltech community as a whole and also, you know, specifically uh, competitively? First order of business is survival. I think that we are not so far removed from extinction that, uh, that we can take for granted survival because my understanding is correct. Battletech was basically extinct about four years ago, four or five years ago, it was done before all these Kickstarter mechs came along. Uh, I did not know of anyone who played Battletech. So I feel like taking for granted survival is not, um, is not warranted at this time. But beyond that, if we are able to maintain a sufficiently high number of new players, you know, if we could have more regular tournaments, especially using the AS system, it's it's it's. I tell you what, a lot less taxing to play a uh, uh, AS three fifty tournament than it was to play a War Machine or a forty uh, k tournament. My goodness, those you feel like you just ran a marathon after having done one day of three games. Is that because of complexity and like rigor or just time? No, it just takes longer. You got to stand there for two hours to finish a 40K game or a War Machine game. As the uh, 200 points of Alpha Strike, you're done in 60, 80 minutes. So you're done. You're moving on and right. it's good. Yeah. And, you know, I, I came from playing X Wing uh, before Alpha Strike. And that was, in a lot of ways, the same charm for X-Wing, where competitively you play a match uh, to 75 minutes, you know. And it's an done. 15 minutes. Right. And it's done. Yeah. And that's really where you want to be. Right. Honestly, like, playing, like, hard games, like Magic, where you can, like, crank out a game, like, under 10 minutes, you know, sometimes playing minis, it's a bit of a drag. You're like, oh, man, what? I got to set up. <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to have more of a tournament scene where, you know, we would actually focus on the actual, um, I guess, competitive 
side of Alpha Strike a little bit further would be nice. That would be fun. I feel like that would introduce a whole nother aspect to the uh, gaming community because Alpha, sorry, not Alpha Strike, Battletech itself is very much a um, a la carte, uh, Burger King, have it just the way you like it type experience already. And everyone knows that you can do that. And it's a great thing. You just play the game you want to play with as much complexity as you want to put into it. But uh, to be able to uh, meet people from further afield, I'm really actually envious of you guys who are going to uh, LVO. I would love to go as well, but yeah, that's just not in the cards right now. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Like from a casual perspective, it's great that the game has, you know, advanced rules that you don't necessarily have to bother with. Uh, and you can keep the game very low level and manageable. Um, but I think that is kind of the achievement of the, the WolfNet system is that we have achieved, at least for tournaments, standardization. You know what I mean? Everyone kind of knows what to expect going in. And uh, that's really helpful for Battletech because, you know, I, I do think a lot of players uh, are drawn in by organized play. You know, they, they want to get out. They want to play in a tournament. They want to see how well they do uh, against other people and, you know, get a day out the house. Um, and that's kind of my hope for Catalyst is that they start putting out, you know, organized play um, support, you know. And it generates a this feedback loop as well because – when am I most motivated to paint? Getting ready for a tournament is when I'm most motivated to paint. Because everything just gets kicked up more when you have a event to work up to. So that's that's just it's oh, a feedback yeah, loop. Yeah, having a deadline is great. You know. Well, yeah. you want to you want to show off your 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 art, your work. You know, you want to you want to be able to oh. let everyone experience the same joy that you get from you know painting and building and everything else i'm going more for the, the participation award on the, on the art side <laughs> but, but thank you <laughs> fair enough fair enough i mean you know you only stay there for so long eventually eventually you'll thirst for more <laughs> it's nice to see that we all want to see the community do well and grow and you know you are right uh with miniatures games you know you lose a couple of key players and, and the whole community can really fall apart for a local scene so drawing in new players really is important and you know we're thankful that you're doing that down in the springs and, and matt's not here but he is one of the co-hosts of the podcast he's been yes. hugely helpful in running regular events in fort collins and denver um and in fact he provided the miniatures for me to play my first game of Alpha Strike. <laughs> yeah, so he's just been all around a good dude, been super helpful. But uh, it's great. It's nice. We're all kind of on the same page. And there is, I think, certainly Colorado, it's unique where we have more people moving into the state and, you know, we have a lot of engineers and IT type people and a lot of military veterans. And there's a lot of overlap for, like, nerds that want to play military sci-fi <laughs> um so you know there's definitely potential for player growth here which is great um definitely and uh well now that we've kind of talked about that uh if you're all right we could kind of dive into a little bit more of the competitive side of things let's um, do it what's been your experience playing in um colorado tournaments you know like let's get other players out there like 
A, they're a ton of fun. But let's give Jack's take on it. Oh, yeah. They're definitely – it's it's a whole bunch of fun. Uh, so far, um, the just to recap, the three events that has existed for Colorado up to this point in time was last year's uh, Battle for the Sphere, uh, was the uh, Razzle Hog tournament, and the Colorado Premier Open. So this was the last year where Correct. the scene has really kicked off. Uh, with Matt and David really leading the initiative to um, um, get uh, these statewide events going. And uh, uh, I think you guys give me a little bit too much credit. I would say that unofficial is definitely the way to go for my having won these events because um, they are quite local, as in I was kind of... uh, semi-hoping that we would get a lot of out-of-state people coming up to this last Colorado Premier Open one. But we're all still pretty local. So so even though I was able to win these games, I would not say that uh, my exposure to the meta is comprehensive. I did not. I only see what, what we have put on the field here locally. So what I do has been effective, but I would not say that it has been tested really against what you guys are going to go see in LVO. So that that's why I'm sure. Wow, I wish I could be going, but uh, but you know what? I'll just have to experience it vicariously from you guys talking about it afterwards. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's focus in on the Premier Open for this discussion. Uh, and that took place a few months ago in Castle Rock. Uh, it was a really nice venue. Inconceivable at Castle Rock, yeah. Nice venue. We had a, a dozen players uh, coming in from over state to play. We did four rounds Swiss. Jack, you were the only one to go undefeated. Uh, ben and I were in that, you know, three and one category. I forget how Mike did. We talked about this in the first episode. But what was your approach to preparing for the tournament in terms of like what list you brought and uh, in terms of evaluating like the local Colorado meta, like what were the, what were your answer pieces? What were you expecting to see and what were your answer pieces for that? So basically when I prepared that list, my idea was this list was going to ask the question of the uh, C3 network. Um, The question that the list brought was, Okay, so I've got the C3i network, which means I have no master unit to be sniped out, which means that everything that's sitting way back in long range is going to be shooting at short range. That's the question. Right. Um, I was expecting, uh, because, you know, because now that we have shifted to an open era period, that ECMs would be more prevalent. I was expecting to see more ECMs on the field, I kind of teasered a couple of months in advance the, uh, um, how do you say, demonic demonic battle armor, which is unique to the word of Blake. I figured I'd given the game away at that point, and I'd see a lot of ECMs on the field. Uh, I was expecting to see some. I brought some of my own as the answer to those ECMs to play in the ECCM right. game. But it turned out that uh, um, I, I, I guess I lucked out. I would have to say that I definitely lucked out that I did not face any ECM on the field on that day. So it was just like, well, 
I guess my LRM carriers is going to just sit back here and just shoot things because nobody brought any ACMs. It was slightly <laughs> surprising. You know, it's wow. funny. <clears throat> I remember you teasing that, Jack, and I was like, ooh, I need to make sure I got some ECM on my list. And I, <laughs> I put ECM on my list just because of that photo you shared. And I was like, let me double check. <laughs> and then we never, never, never got to play each other. Nope. I was like, dang, how have I not, how am I seeing any ECMs today at all whatsoever? But uh, I would, I would have to say that just my matchups were, um, luck was in my favor for those matchups. Um, it was, yeah, lucky. Believe it at that. We actually ended up playing in the, the last round. Uh, I would say it was uh, the finals. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We ended up playing the last round. Uh, it was my clan, Jade Falcon, and your Blakis. And I took no ECM. Uh, yeah. Because why would I? What, how does that give me honor? And uh, <laughs> it didn't work out for me. But that's all right. In that game, actually, I think uh, you give yourself too, too, le- too, too little of a credit because afterwards I did my own um, debriefing on the game. And had the game been a slugfest and gone on for a few more turns, I would, it would have been a tabling. I would not have been able to continue because by that point, by the time we finished, you had lost nothing. I had not killed anything of yours, and I've lost almost half of my forces already. So I think you give yourself too little credit for that game. It was, it was, I was losing pieces rapidly, just not in the middle. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, triple strength Mimer and jump strong uh, is scary on an assault mech. And, yeah. Uh, uh, my Jade Falcon, we're happy to just kind of kite you and uh, lose. <laughs> <laughs> what I've have, what I've actually looked at uh, more recently, uh, your list actually was a little bit inspiring. It was uh, for me to look more into the idea of skill four pilots. Um, I think that I, I mentioned while we were there on that day that you know I don't really like skill four pilots because it doesn't seem efficient in terms of delivering damage to target. It's so difficult to hit things that are TMM4 or above. I'm coming to uh, revise that opinion because you have a lot more dice. And I was losing a lot more dudes really quickly. So I, I think that there is something to be said for having more dice to roll, even though they're not that good. Just roll more dice. Eventually something will stick. Will happen, yeah. Uh, especially because the game rewards you for rolling box cars. And, yeah. you know, the criticals and alpha strike can be brutal. Um, oh, yeah. You know, as strong, as good as Jump Strong is, you know, if you if you happen to get hit with your targeting computer and now you're getting negative four to hit, you're, you're not going to hit the broad side of a bar. You know, that's it. Precisely. I, I feel like Jump Strong is a... Yes, it can make your mech extremely durable, However, you're not really shooting back. Like I was, I was needing nines to hit it short, which was just not is not tenable. You're not going to hit anything. It's not not going to work out. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. Um, you know, I, I love being squirrely. I love jumping mechs. You know, I, I run a, a Viper and um, a Grendel, which are both fast jumping, basically just you know elemental carriers, and uh, I love them so much. But you know. 
you do have to roll a lot of dice and hope something sticks. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I, I, I see this, um, I see this, uh, I guess it's not really a pattern when the number of data points that I see is not that high, but it seems that what you really need to do in order to uh, cope with the requirements of Alpha Strike 350 is to have a very solid mix of things that are gonna stay back and fight from the line and things that are gonna rush forward with infantry or without infantry and engage enemies at backstabbing point blank range. Some of your list needs to be able to do it. Can't just sit back and shoot. Yeah, totally. And you need to know that you're gonna get shot and you have to choose, you know, ideally, you know, and under ideal circumstances, what parts of my list are getting shot when, you know? Yes. Because, you know, as soon as you get focused down, you're down in activation, you're down firepower, it's a lot harder to come back. And that was that was one of the things that I one I think we had this discussion on Discord. I don't recall if it's on uh, the uh, the uh, Wolfnet Discord or on the Colorado one, but the discussion was with regards to um, indirect fire and uh, long uh, LRM carriers, in more specifically, and really your I, your mentioning now of which models to get targeted is at the very core of that particular discussion, which is you're paying basically all for guns on these LRM carriers. Almost all points that you're devoting into that is guns. And you need to figure out a way so that these LRM carriers don't get shot because they're not there to get shot. They're there to shoot. You got to figure out some way to put something more juicy to be shot at, to attract the fire or something so threatening, so flashy that they will get focused down in front in, instead of the LRM carriers right. or, or put them out of sight, which is exactly what they're designed right. to do. Um, those are the kinds of things that I think about when I list draw, which is what is this unit's job? Like, are you actually going to be shooting? Are you actually being there to get shot are you is your job to get shot at is your job to uh go into melee is your job to just survive and complete the mission objective be that battle armor that gets dropped with a plus six target number to hit uh with the help of your um uh VTOL. yeah i i agree with you totally and you know for people who want to spend more time building their lists and ask themselves more questions <laughs> and they're off time you know, you ask yourself those questions generally, and then you can also contextualize them within each scenario because who your point man is and who your objective grabber is is going to vary based on the scenarios too within the WolfNet system, which I think is a lot of fun. Um, I'm, you know, I'm really impressed by the WolfNet's, uh, um, how do you say, uh, scenario selection. Those... Obviously, there's been a lot of thought put into their creation, but it really does. I'm impressed by how diverse they are. In they are enforcing different uh, tactics to adapt to the requirements. Because hell, the, one of the new ones I don't remember what it's called, where you actually have to just stand on a quarter, on a quarter size circle, and just sit there and just eat it in the face. What is it? Um, uh, is that hold the line or? 
it could be hold the line, but basically there are these like one inch yeah. circles that yeah, I don't yeah. care what your TMM is because you're gonna stand here and you're gonna stand still because you can't show any of this quarter size template at all, or they can step on it. So you gotta actually just just stand there. And that is a significantly yeah. different requirement than say go blow up that bunker. So it's 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 good. To elaborate for listeners, uh, what Jack is talking about is that in that particular scenario, as the defender, you cannot contest an objective. So if any part of an enemy map is on it, they claim it. So you have to completely cover it with your own base to preclude any possibility of them destroying one of your markers. And, you know, not only is that kind of like a... Like, I, I hadn't thought of that myself when I first read the rules for that scenario. And the only time it ever occurred to me was talking to Jack on the Discord a couple of weeks before uh, Copa. You, you kind of have to cast a more discerning and analytical eye on some of these uh, scenario rules to really see like, oh, I could do this or that. You know, like one thing I just learned recently is you can step on the entrance to a bunker to keep an enemy infantry unit in there. So it destroys the bunker, but then it kills itself too. And I was like, what? Like, I, I would not have thought of that. You know, yeah, you can have this bunker, but your life is forfeit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what Jack's one point uh, flatbed truck is there for. It's just that's vehicular right. manslaughter. Yeah, <laughs> just screaming elementals behind the uh, uh, double doors, just blocked by a truck. That's right. I mean, and I, I, a lot of the units that I bring are multi, are multi. Multi-roll, like those fat flatbed, sorry, flatbed trucks. <laughs> uh, the flatbed trucks. Um, if I really need them to, they can just spot for the uh, for the LRM carriers. They are definitely not optimally uh, there to drop indirect fire. But in a pinch, I could use those flatbed trucks to spot for a direct fire as well. So really, ideally. For these AS350 scenario packs, you need more. You need your guys to do more than one job because there's so many different scenarios yeah. you're going into. Yeah, absolutely. You can't afford for your your units to be one dimensional, right? Unless your job is just to not die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, was there any scenario that you didn't want to see rolled up at the tournament? Because we we played uh, King of the Hill. Domination, overrun, and what was the fourth scenario? Uh, let me think. Uh, King of the Hill, domination. No, we didn't do capital flag. Uh, King of the Hill, domination. No. <clears throat> um, uh, which one was the one with the four zones where you have to occupy all four at the end? That's uh, overrun. Overrun. That's overrun. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. Yeah. And and rampage. I'm blanking right? out on the fourth. Was it bunkers? Again? Oh, bunkers. bunkers. Yeah. yeah, we did bunkers. bunkers. We did bunkers. There we go. I didn't so know. Was there a scenario you didn't want to see rolled up? Yeah. I didn't want to see a stand up fight. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. It was, it I can is, see that. it's not fun. And you know what? I, my, my, my thing is, I want to show up and I want to play fun games. So I did not want to play a stand up fight because, sure. Okay. Let's do this. <laughs> And at the tournament, um, and Ben, feel free to chip in too. We we saw 
a lot of VTOLs. We saw a lot of artillery. We on board and off board, actually, it's pretty interesting. And we saw a lot of conventional infantry and battle armor infantry. Um, what were your, uh, I think you played against all of them. So uh, what was your impression playing against them? Uh, did you have any difficulties with any of them or do you have any advice for the listeners about answers? Because, you know, more than likely you're going to see one or more of these uh, type units in your games. You want to take that one first, Ben? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think from what I recall, I lost my first game and that was the Zones one, Overrun, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the games I'd never played before. So it kind of threw me for a loop. I was trying to figure out all the different dynamics there. And I can't remember who I I think I was playing Josh, maybe, in the first round. And I, he had a really good grasp of what was going on, and I didn't. And and it just um, – he had some, some decent uh, medium-weight mechs that he was running. And yeah. I had a couple of lights and a cut and an assault and a heavy, I think. And it just, it, it didn't, he immobilized my assault in my own zone. So it, it just Ooh. didn't turn out well. Um, but yeah. I think he brought in, he had two VTOLs that he brought in um, that were dropping troops behind my two LRM carriers I had. And uh, I had to completely just turn and, and kill those things as quickly as I could. I knew those, those VTOLs were just going to run around the board and snipe at me the whole time. Was it uh, Josh F? I think so. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, and I... He was on a Davian group, I think it was. Yeah, he, uh, he and I sparred in that scenario previously, and we were uh, we were really dissecting that uh, scenario quite aggressively because I believe it's one of the new ones to see yeah, how yeah. you go about engaging the scenario, which um, which uh, is if we return to the previous question on how to prepare, practicing the scenarios is really helpful. Definitely yeah. is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, to, uh, to answer the actual question on... Um, battle armor and VTOLs and uh, uh, combat vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of assume their presence because uh, all of these jobs can be done with various types of mechs, but they can, do, they can be done better by the other type of um, chassis. For example, you can have the Dasher H, which delivers massive amount of damage uh, to the back arc, but it's got two hit points, and it doesn't jump. So terrain is going to be a difficulty, whereas you can kind of do the same job with hover tanks or VTOLs, which may be cheaper and could possibly do the same job, especially if they come in and, as you saw, then drop off the battle armor. So you can drop those five pips of damage to the same place faster while ignoring uh, difficult terrain. You just... Uh, in my opinion, I think, uh, need to expect that uh, you're going to have these jobs being fulfilled by these other chassis type, whether they be VTOLs, battle armor, um, hover tanks, heck, even the standard uh, 
Mac job of standing there and slugging it out can be done quite competently, if not better, with tracked tanks. So all of these jobs can be fulfilled by non-mechs. It's just mechs can kind of do all of them almost as well at the same time. They're more flexible. So right. just view them and as alternatives. you only get five vehicle picks versus eight mech picks, which is That's big. right. That's right. And, you know, having your VTOL lose its uh, mobility in the middle of the air is... Uh, Catastrophic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So they're they're they're. I think they are a crucial part of um, Alpha Strike in that they uh, they serve to highlight the strength of the mechs, make them look good because they can do all these jobs. Sometimes not as well, but at least competently, and they can demonstrate how strong the mechs are when they actually can do what they're there to do which is kind of just standing on the line and flexibly engaging at different jobs as the requirements arise, which these other platforms cannot do. The uh, infantries cannot move as fast as a mech can. A VTOL cannot stand up and fight uh, and get and take punches like mechs can. And uh, combat vehicles, track combat vehicles, cannot stand on the line and fight if there are no force like mechs can. So they can all do their job. They can do, they do them all very well. But the mech will always have the flexibility edge on being able to get across that hill faster, be able to take cover behind buildings, kind of take the partial cover and not die at the first motive hit, like a lot of the VTOLs and uh, hover tanks kind of die once they lose their mobility. They're just more flexible in their application. Yeah, mm, totally. And, you know, you, you do pay for that flexibility, but um, it, it, it can be worth it, especially if you can leverage it. And, um, you know, like my list was, uh, I didn't have any vehicles. It was just mechs and elementals, you know, basically the clan invasion box and the heavy striker star box, just plain love. Um, even if you don't run the specialists, you can still be successful, but the specialists you have to, to look out for. And I think especially um, VTOLs, you know, uh, do you guys just throw a whole lot of dice at them and hope for the best or flack or just ignore them and try to kill the, you know, the other threats in the opponent's list? What's, what's your guys' answers to uh, VTOLs when you see them? I think mine is, is usually just ignore them unless they're like spotting for something heavier. You know, then I'll try and take out. I think when I was at Battle Barn, um, somebody was rolling a a sprint scout help VTOL and he was spotting for a, it was either a just two or a Mars, something that was throwing like eight or nine dice, indirect fire <laughs> behind the hill. I was like, I know how this plays out, man. Um, so I was trying to kill that VTOL as, as quickly as I could just to take away from that one unit's sole purpose. You know, yeah. if he can't do that, then there's, there's no other point for that. Um, right. Sometimes, like, I played Gideon, like, he had a VTOL that was running around spotting for, like, three or four different mechs, but I was engaging those mechs, so it, I just kind of ignored it at that point, you know? So, I don't know. Jack, what do you think? Well, if you ask Mike, the way to deal with VTOL is to uh, drop artillery on them. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> apparently, it's a legitimate strategy. No, I, I just got really lucky with that one, because not only did it hit, it also... Uh, immobilized it in, in one go. So it's kind of like 
well, shit, that shouldn't have happened, but I'll take it and let's roll. Um, yeah, yeah. Michael had a, a low-flying helicopter, and uh, Jack clicked it by shooting a nearby hill with an artillery round. <laughs> and uh, that was the end of that helicopter. Yeah, I would not... Um... It would depend on what the VTOL is trying to do, as Ben said. If it's trying to spot and you could just engage the units it's spotting for, then screw it. Leave them alone. They're not going to do any damage on their own. And you're already engaging the thing that they're trying to not let you shoot at. So screw them. Don't, uh, don't engage them at all. But if they are coming in to deploy, say, uh, objective scoring battle armor to the bunkers, then... Absolutely, you have to engage it before they can complete their mission. Um, because once they deploy those battle armor, it will be extremely difficult to uh, stop them at that point. So just drown them in dice. That's the only thing you can do. You can try to do flak, but the number of things that actually carry enough flak to be meaningful is limited. Um, there's not a lot of flak out there. So you have to kill them. The only way is just drown them in dice. Then... Or ignore him. Yeah, I, I took two units with flak, and I, I, I felt like it wasn't sufficient in answering VTOLs. Um, I was able... I played against VTOLs in three of my four matches. Uh, in my first game, Rick used it to spot for artillery, and that destroyed my dasher. I was like, oh, that's how artillery works. <laughs> yes. And then uh, my second or third game was against David playing bunkers, and he had two helicopters. Um, and uh, one of them, I got like really lucky. I had an 11 or 12 that went into an immobilization. So that like took yeah. one out almost immediately. Um, and then in my game against you, Jack, you took a sprint, I believe, with C3I. Yeah. Um, and that, in my opinion, like had to go. And I dedicated a Loki to putting six dice into it in the butt at short range. And I assumed that would, that would do it. And I only connected with one damage and then I rolled really low and I ended up not immobilizing it. And uh, I, I actually think that was one of the turning points in our game that I then had to dedicate the Loki another round of engaging that helicopter instead of you know, being productive on the hill. Yeah, instead of instead of forcing me to bring up a different unit to spot for the C3I system, that uh, sprint was able to continue to spot for one more round is a, as you have and uh, as you have deduced, uh, I agree is a big turning point because, you know, having the ability to engage at long range, but with only short range modifiers is is huge. It's a huge uh, delta, as it were, to be able to continue to do that for one more round without additional resources to do it. I mean, shooting on flat odds is huge in a TD6 system, so. Yeah. Um, but I tell you what, though, when you're taking fire as a, uh, as a VTOL, you kind of, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, a, a, how do you say, it induces some amount of puckering to happen because, holy shit, yeah. any one of these damage could take you out right away no matter how much oh, yeah. uh, health yeah. you have left you can lose your mobility and that's it because you're at plus yeah. two on the oh, yeah. table <laughs> so it's it's really dicey um and then another thing that we, we saw a lot of in colorado was artillery uh i didn't run any artillery i think jack you had off-board artillery we saw yeah. two of my opponents had on-board artillery 
Um, one of them was able to destroy my fire moth, and that slowed my offensive down a lot. And then yes. the other opponent, David, couldn't, and then he just had a fire moth H in his backfield going crazy. And I, I, I don't think I tabled David, but I think he had one or two units left at the end of the game. So, yeah, artillery is uh, his. I think almost required specifically to engage the dasher plus battle armor um, combination because that's a really strong combination. It's high mobility and extremely high damage to be delivered just all in one go. So if you can nip that right in the bud with an artillery strike, then that's so much the better. And I think that having those um, off-board artillery as an alter alternative to dedicating actual artillery system on the board with its spotting support, with having to uh, find a spot for it to hide, that's just a lot of quality of life benefit. But yeah, they are important because of the dasher, dasher problem, for sure. The dasher problem. <laughs> the dasher problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ben, did you go against any dashers? And did you take any artillery? Uh, I did not bring any artillery, and I can't recall if I went up against any dashers. I don't think I did. Not a, not at the open, you know. Okay. I, I, I played a guy, and the, the only time I've seen somebody took broad artillery against me was an off-board artillery piece, and it was my first time and only time I faced artillery, and I completely forgot he even had it. And I bunched <laughs> up all my units behind a hill because I was going oh, to no. push out, and oh. he launched it, and barely missed and caught like one oh. back from like one point of damage and I was like, okay, I'll remember that for next time. <laughs> Don't bunch up. Yeah, yeah. Don't bunch up. Uh oh off board artillery hits on is it nines or eights? Uh, I think it's eights for the big one. Sevens for the small ones for the time being. Me here, it's uh skill rating. Uh, if you're standing still, minus one point of impact is a plus four. Um, indirect fire plus one, area of effect plus one, and tag equip spotter minus one. So, you could conceivably, if you take a, a two skill artillery piece, um, I, I want to say Sean Goolsby from Minnesota was doing a lot of that in the early days. Um, he was taking a skill two. Um, standing it still, dropping it down to one, plus four, five, six. I mean, you're looking at sevens or eights, depending if you do it right. Yeah, seven is pretty good. That's going to hit, what, like 55% of the time? Yeah, about that. That's not bad because, you know, you're doing two damage uh, to an AOE, and that, that will erase uh, a lot of light mechs or oh, yeah. battle armor. Or, you know, hovercraft. Oh, oh, yeah, or hovercraft, yeah. Anything with a high TMM, so that you don't actually have to roll Anything against with a high it. TMM. Yeah. Yeah, and low-flying helicopters only. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then, yeah, I think that was it. You know, I, I didn't play against anyone else running a fire moth. I, I used mine, and... Um, this is actually a good segue into the skill conversation because I actually run my Fire Moth H at skill five. So a Fire Moth H gets five dice at short range and short range only. It normally runs you in at 25 points. And if you dump the skill down to five, 
uh, you get a three-point discount. I, I can understand the rationale on that. You run it in someone's back arc, you're rolling six dice, and, you know, against Inner Sphere, you can assume Team M's going to be like two, two or one. So yep. you're needing sevens to hit. So you're doing three or four damage pretty consistently. And then against Clan, it's it's a lot rougher because Team M probably goes up to like three. Yeah, they're uh, going to start at two. And, yeah, yeah. So you're a lot less likely to hit a Clan opponent. But, you know, you just roll dice. Now I, um, I, I understand the analysis. It makes sense. I just like quality but, of life to actually connect quality of life. Not quality of life, just a good feel of the dice when you need not that high to hit. Just feels nicer. Yeah, yeah. Living on tens is is a weird life, but you know, <laughs> just gotta just gotta roll my my bucket of dice and hope for the best. Um, all my units were skill four and five. Um, Jack, all your units that shot were skill three, uh, and then some of your units that just kind of moseyed around and contributed were skill six and seven. Is that right? Right, more or less. Um... I wasn't able to get the uh, LRM carriers hidden at skill three. Uh, under normal circumstance, I probably would. But since they are members of the C3I system, I left them at four. And they did pretty well. I was, I was giving a bunch of units skill three just in case I end up, heck, I'm losing the EZM fight. And now I actually have to stand up fight. And I wanted skill three. So uh, most of them were three. Right. The LRM carriers were four. All the other schlubs who weren't intending to shoot were less. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And for context, the units Jack took that were his max, I you only had four max in your list, I think. Uh, and I think they all maxed out at what, like three dice and like an overheat value of like one or two? Uh, let me. Some of them are actually meant to shoot. For example, there was an archangel in there uh, whose sole purpose in life was to sit way the hell back and just decide to either stand still or to walk to reposition, but ideally it wanted to stand still and just shoot at extreme range because it had four, I believe, all the way out. So four, four, and four all the way out. Um, the, let's see, a lot of the heavy lifting for shooting were being done by the LRM carriers. They each have five pips a piece, a piece um, at long. So they were really hoping yeah. to uh, stay way the hell back and just rain fire at quote unquote short range. Um, yeah. Okay. So the Archangel actually has four, four, four all the way out, but overheat of one, never going to use that. Never want to get in closer than long because this job is to shoot at long. Um, the Seraph was the assault that you were speaking of, John, with the uh, jump strong. He had three at medium and overheat two. His job was not to shoot at all. Like he was just going to be jumping around, eventually stabbing somebody with a sword. Maybe, probably not, just being scary um, and just not dying. Um, there was another mech that was a, a heavy. He was also a three, and a medium, he was also a three. Most of the damage was being done by the uh, LRM carriers and the battle armor that's trying to get in short, and they were four damage at short range with right. one. Right, right. 
Yeah, because the um, for those who are wondering, you know, how do how are my units priced? Why does it cost what it does? Uh, for Alpha Strike, it is converted from Total Warfare, and then there's a formula for pricing that's applied to it. And you know, one quick example is that short and long range firepower are priced at half the value of medium firepower because medium firepower eight times out of 10 is going to be what you're using. Yeah. 90% of the time you're going to be shooting at medium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and before we go forward, Ben, just real quick, did you run a, a variety of skills or were you rocking bog standard fours? What's going on there? We, uh, I, I don't think I ended up playing you. Yeah, I had a mix. Um, I had a flashman. I was running at skills because I brought an SLDF list. Um, I had a flashman oh, nice. skill three, and then my two LRM carriers were skill three, nice. and I think pretty much everything else was skill four. My heavy hover transports were at skill six. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think like that was about it. Oh, my Nighthawks had- were at skill three. I think my little Nighthawk battle armor. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, now you're starting to say things that I'm not familiar with. That's actually a really <laughs> cool thing about having open arrows, is you get SDF, you get Blakus, you, you can even have, you know, Ilkland all playing at the same time and be relatively balanced, you know? My Blakus yeah. were actually rocking a uh, a squad of Nighthawks as well, because these nice. guys had a wow. suitcase full of ECM uh, equipment on them, just so that just in case I end up in an ECM fight, I had a another ECM in a suitcase. Yep, yep. <laughs> Those little light ECMs they run around with, and their stealth armor too. So and they have stealth armor. armor, and their jump, and their TMM one. Mm-hmm. These guys are really hard to be killed. Yeah, yeah. yeah but L armor is a pain. It's funny how many similarities there are between the two lists. Actually, I, I, I wasn't aware that that you both were rocking uh, double LMR LRM. Oh my gosh! Double LRM carriers and the uh, stealth armor and everything like that. Kind of like <laughs> you were approaching things from the same design ones. Well, Porter Blake is the inheritor of the Star League, so it only makes sense. Never. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, was just, I was impressed by your your theme that you built on jack that was that was really cool like angels of demons thing i really enjoyed that i think that's oh, thank you thank you i that's that's how that's how i build is you know last time before this one was bears because i had baby bears in the metal armor little ursus bears you know kodiak bears grizzly bears all the bears that was the last thing yeah. and this one was you know all the angels and demons so i like i like that kind of that's where i start my list is some kind of a theme and then we'll go from there how do I make it work? Yeah, that's that's one yeah. of the things when I when I got into Alpha Strike about about a year and a half ago, I was already building a lot of stuff, faction era things, because I I just liked building stuff with a theme behind it, you know, and and I think you know with Wolfnet going to that faction era restriction, you know, it really hasn't hurt me that too very much at all, um, just because I was already doing it and it, it was like. It's just kind of part of the course. I like making a list that is themed about something, you know. Right. It's it. There's that uh, endorphin that uh, your brain gives you when all the puzzles fit into the right places. Well, you know, you want to have connection with what you're doing. 
I'm sorry, say again. Oh, I was just saying, you know, you want to have connection with what you're doing, you know, that it makes sense to you. Like, yeah, these guys are here at this point in time because that's where they would be. Precisely. But thanks for bringing up Ben because, yeah, it was impressive there, the Angels and Demon thing. That was very cool. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm honestly a little disappointed I wasn't able to play Ben playing SLDF Green. That sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll just have to wait for uh, our next what battle battle for the spear two is coming up in uh, soon very soon yeah two weeks I think yeah there's a there's a good uh, menu of uh, different things that can be done at those events which I'm I'm looking forward to Matt's uh, mini campaign for the day thing that seems really interesting to me yes that's right um, uh, Matt. We mentioned earlier, uh, being so helpful in running events, he's going to be running the Battles for the Sphere North out of Westminster Hobby Town. And one of the events he's running is a campaign day. So there'll be a linked narrative games that players can participate in and that will form uh, future things in the scenario. And they can play out an entire uh, campaign, you know, narrative scenarios linked together in one day. So it should be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's having his... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, please, back to you. Uh, he's having, uh, as one of the options for that, is to roll on the random assignment table. And I'm like, what the hell is a Clint? Like, where do I even get? Like, what? <laughs> why would you do this? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's true. That is true. He, he's posted up some of the details you can find on the Colorado Paltech Facebook page or in the Discord server uh, in the events tab. You should have the files. Um, and the narrative is being based on the um, the Great Death Legion found the Helm Corps. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Yeah. So it's based on the Great Death Legion's finding of the Helm Corps and then the FWL. Uh, Free Worlds League forces being directed against them because they've been accused of committing atrocities, and this is actually a turning point, a turning points campaign that Ben wrote for one of the source books. Ben or a turning point, turning turning points helm. Yep, yeah, I yeah. wrote that uh, a little bit ago. Um, you know, it's it's based in the Succession Wars era, but I know Matt has kind of tweaked it a little bit to uh, bring it into the in line with the uh, Civil War era. So uh, you'll see a lot of of newer tech. Um, I don't know if he's going to run exactly the way the scenario is built in the book. Um, I'm sure he'll have to do a little bit of tweaking here and there, uh, but he's 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 doing a good job with it, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna put on a really good event. I think. Yep, looking forward to it. Me too. Um, well. When we're talking about events, we're kind of wrapping up here, Jack. Could you tell people where you run your intro events, when they could go to them, and what they can expect there? Well, I run these intro events about once a month with with about a two-week of lead time. I usually publish uh, their location and uh, um, timing on our Discord and on our Facebook group, and up to recently on everything Battletech Facebook group, but that doesn't exist anymore. So right now, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's mostly that, on our Discord. Which and, shall not uh, be named. 
Yeah, uh, there is a, I also publish on um, the various locations, Discord slash Facebook group that I, I intend to do this at. And it is usually either at Gamers Haven in Colorado Springs, at Petrie's Family Games in Colorado Springs, or at Inconceivable Toys and Games in Monument. Not the Castle Rock one, the Monument. And I like to rotate just so that I allow each shop to benefit from our growing community. That's great, Jack. Thank you for your efforts. And uh, we just want to say thanks for your time tonight and coming on and answering your questions. It's been a lot of fun having this conversation. Absolutely. No problems. It's good times. Good times. All right. Well, hope you guys were able to get to know one of your Colorado locals better. And thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today in the Valhalla Club. If you are in Colorado, you can find us on Facebook and Discord at Colorado Battletech. If you are able to help support the local Colorado Battletech community, subscribe to us on Patreon at Colorado Battletech. This Patreon account is used to provide prize support for our local events and assist in venue costs. Links to the Facebook group, Discord, and Patreon are in the show notes. Until next time, mech fans.